If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast, and it is all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, how's it going? My name is Christian Wagner, and I am the Militant Thomist. So uh, today is going to be a Q&A to celebrate. I want you all to get out of your chairs right now, get off your beds, and cheer, because we are over 750. Actually, last time I checked, we're close to 770. So amazing, amazing work, guys, getting getting the word out, uh, commenting, liking, smashing that subscribe button just to obliterate that YouTube algorithm to get these videos out to the people that need them to become militant Thomists and to become radical Numenites. So um, I see that there's a lot of people in the chat right now commenting. And you guys must love uh, Q&As because there's 90 watching right now. So let me answer some questions. But first... Um, I'm going to check to see how this baby's working out. So as I posted literally everywhere and, um, I'll be for the chill stream later, which is going to be at seven 30. So in about an hour, I'll be still live streaming to YouTube, but with the playback of it, you can find the audio on uh, Apple podcasts or Spotify. Just search up militant Thomas. You should be able to find my, uh, channel on there and then uh, the video is going to be on odyssey so this is new to me um, still trying to figure out how this baby works um, and i tried to send a send a link to so if anybody could confirm that that's working out for you gonna, so it might be a little bit of a rough start getting there I don't see myself on here anywheres, but I just have to monkey around with it a bit later. Maybe if any of you have used it before, that would be really helpful. So, and actually <clears throat> it syncs with my, it syncs with my um, YouTube channel. So all of my videos from YouTube should be synced on there, <coughs> but I'm still trying to figure that one out. So, uh, Sorry about at least the first week. It's going to be a little bit rough trying to get it out there. So let us see. So I'll start going through the chat and I'll be able to be here on for an hour. If I recognize any, uh, any of you beautiful patrons, I'll make sure I answer your questions first. Okay. So do you think there's a slight possibility that you will revert back to Protestantism at some point? Uh, I don't, I, I don't think so. Um, at all. Um, 
I, I, I don't ever see myself uh, reverting back to Protestantism, um, especially because um, with, with the doctrine of Vatican II, uh, when it talks about um, those who know the truth of the Roman church and then reject it or apostatize, then uh, there's no hope of salvation. So uh, that that's always in the back of my mind, even there usually there, there's never really been a temptation to convert. But if there was, that would always be in the back of my mind. So I don't ever see myself even considering considering it rather than a mere hypothetical. So, yes, Elijah is everywhere. Elijah's legion. Okay, if God real, why bad thing happen? <laughs> if guy, if God real, why good thing happen? Oh wait, Massachusetts sucks. Already said that. Okay, if God real, why Massachusetts exist? I honestly don't know. That's a great question. Massachusetts is actually. I have um, um, Ethan and and Liam. I I haven't brought them on the channel yet, but they're brilliant uh, Catholic friends um, that I went to RVC with. They're from Massachusetts. So at least two good things came out of Massachusetts. Okay. Let us see. <laughs> Wouldn't be a militant Thomas stream if he was on time. If any of you have ever, there's a few people in here who have been guests. Uh, people in the chat have been guests on here. I feel, <laughs> I feel so bad. Because when I when I do streams, interviewing guests, I literally show up like a minute before we're supposed to go live, and then I like explain what we're going to be talking about in like thirty seconds, and then go live. Like they get, I'm surprised anybody has ever like not <laughs> just left after after that experience. Okay, do you still believe the divine essence to be an imminent universal? What do you mean an imminent universal? I'm not sure about the about the question. Sorry, I'm not understanding your uh, your language right there. Okay, so bombing that subscribe button right now. Okay, so there you go. Committing cruel and unusual punishment against the subscribe button. So this is for you, Christian. What relation does the body of Christ have to the divine essence? Okay, that's a great one. Um, so I think we have to make first a distinction uh, between natural and then um, supernatural or nature and grace. So naturally, um, all things uh, by virtue, insofar it has it has being, um, participates in being itself, which is God. So naturally, uh, there's some relation between the divine essence and everything that has being. Uh, and then also you'll get like uh, St. Maximus, the confessor in Ambiguum 7. He'll talk about the Lagos and then the Logi, um, where, wherein everything is patterned after and um, comes forth from the divine essence. So there's a natural sort of uh, participation that happens. And then there's also uh, participation by grace, where um, this is elevated insofar as the body of Christ as uh, united to Christ, becomes participants in the divinity and are in a way divinized uh, by grace. And it, it, it's a similar way, analogously, to thinking about how um, 
the humanity of Christ was divinized. So, for example, uh, with with Christ having beatific knowledge um, communicated to him from the divinity, and that's not that's according to his capacity. So it's not a mixing of attributes, but it's a it's a sort of instrumentality of power, and it's an analogous sort of way when it comes to uh, Christians in um, in our relationship to the divine essence, where we become instruments of divine power. And then you'll even get guys like Maximus the Confessor talking about how um, how when we think about Christ in the fact that. Uh, through the working of the power of the divinity, not in not in himself, not in uh, the human nature itself, but through the wa- the working of the power of the divinity, uh, Christ can be at multiple locations at once. And as in uh, in Maximus, he talks about how that same thing is true for uh, for Christians too. So there's a strong working of the divine power and communication of uh, attributes according to our capacity that happens. Uh, beatific knowledge wherein our intellects are united to the divine essence and certain things like this. There's both that natural and that supernatural participation. And I don't see many people actually even talk about the natural participation kind of, I'm assuming because uh, Platonism bad, Plato man bad, um, Aristotle man good. Okay. Okay. Ooh, this is a good one. Christian B. Wagner, um, I asked the other day about Thomas on the Incarnation. Is it true that Aquinas thinks that Christ's human nature was like an accident? Yeah, let me just pull up my second screen real quick so I can pull up the section. It's going to take a second. Yeah, and sorry about not answering that. Um, I was short on time, and I actually intended to do an entire separate video on this question. But I can give you the quick and dirty. You know? And if you want more, I'm open to doing a whole video on it. But uh, let let us see. Okay, Tertia Pars. Uh, I think it's going to be question four. Uh, maybe it's question five. Oh, no. Don't tell me I'm not going to be able to find it. I wasn't able to find it last time. Then I found it between the videos. Okay. No. I might actually not be able to find it. Oh, there it is. Okay. Okay, whether the human nature was united to the word of God accidentally. And this is basically the question you're asking right here. So I'm just going to go through the said contra for, and then I think a little bit of the respondeo he actually explains, but he just has a wall of text down here. I think the first paragraph he's going to explain it a bit more. Okay, so on the contrary, whatever's predicated accidentally predicates not substance, but quantity or quality or some other mode of being. If therefore the human nature accrues accidentally, when we say Christ is man, we do not predicate substance, but quality or quantity or some other mode of being, which is contrary to the decretal of Pope Alexander III. And then that's that he has to have a true nature. So he can't be predicated um, accidentally. So human nature cannot be an accident um, because then that would mean that it's not a complete human nature because it comes along with substance. Okay, so in evidence of this question, we must know that... 
two heresies arose. Let me see if there's any. There is a paragraph in here. Uh, yeah, this is basically, maybe it's in one of the objections. Sorry for all the dead air, guys. Okay. Yeah, this is just him arguing that's not accidentally. Uh, I know there's another. Okay. I guess I'll just go off the cuff then. So, uh, in another place, he explains um, that substance and accident is a mere analogy. And it can be a good analogy for the incarnation because outwardly he appears to be man, but inwardly we know that he is, he is God. And that's a that's an okay analogy to use. There's nothing wrong with that. But we have to, when we make an analogy, not only highlight the similitude, those things in which the analogy shares with the thing which it um, which it is analogous to, but also the dissimilitude, those things which are not shared in the analogy. So, for example, if we say God has a strong right arm, we those similitudes um, has to do with his power. The dissimilitudes is that it's not a physical corporeal arm that uh, that the Godhead has. So, so that that's it. It has to do with the nature of of an analogy, and he explains this in another place. But I can't exactly find uh, where he does that. So, if anybody can find that, that would be great. Um, but this is basically him just arguing against that position stated. So, if that's enough proof that he doesn't make it in an accident, then. Uh, then I don't know what would be enough proof. Okay. 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 I'm going to turn off my second stream because the lighting is terrible with it. Okay. So Christopher asks, what are your favorite works on the spiritual life, mysticism, prayer, et cetera, and why? Also, what are your preferred devotions and why? Yeah. So uh, works on the spiritual life. Um, so Lagrange has some good ones on St. John of the Cross. But that's more of a technical um, treatment. And honestly, I think uh, if you're going to... So, so Lagrange will talk about in his work on Beatitude, how uh, we ought not to separate dogmatic theology from mystical theology too much because dogmatic theology is really the root of mystical theology. It's in our contemplation of dogma that, um, that these mystical um, experiences flow. And then also when we read dogma, we ought not to separate that from the mystical life because the end of the mystical life is the contemplate, the pure contemplation of God. So uh, I, I think honestly, when it comes to most of the um, most of the material from which I draw, uh, in my own mystical life, then it it would be those certain sections of the Summa where that are particularly uh, fruitful for that end. So, for example, um, in the first part of Primo Pars on the nature of God, especially, especially, especially the uh, the question on beatitude, 
that's a very fruitful passage for contemplation. And then also um, those sections about happiness, those are other ones. So with the with the mystical life, and then you also get um, like uh, Gerson, uh, Jean Gerson, uh, Nicholas of Cusa, and other medieval mystics are really good. Um, I can I have a list of them that if you reach out to me, I'm, I will look for. Um, and then with uh, what are my preferred devotions and why it's the office of the church. Um, I think that is the most important. Uh, and I and I keep highlighting that to you guys. But uh, but other devotions such as litanies, rosaries um, in, in other private devotions, those are great. Those are amazing. I'm not uh, saying those aren't great and that you shouldn't do them. But the central devotion of the Catholic Church from which all other devotion flows is going to be the the uh, the breviary in the liturgy of the hours. That's your offices are going to be those central and public devotions. Everything comes after the offices and you can, and that doesn't mean you have to do the full monastic office waking up at one o'clock in the morning, although you'd be based if you did that. Um, but it does mean that there's, you, you can do one of the shorter offices. You can do the practice of just doing vespers and lauds, uh, morning and evening prayer. I think that that's what it's called in the uh, liturgy, the hours and, and, and so on. But, uh, but that is the central, the central uh, devotion of the Catholic church. So I think great question. So do you agree that the church teaches supersessionism? A lot of people I read either significantly confuse me or straight up deny it. It's obvious from the magistrate. What do you mean by supersessionism? Sorry. I've heard the term before, but I'm not connecting that to the concept. Okay. Go down. Okay, so if any, what devotions from before your conversion to Rome do you still use? <laughs> That's uh, that, This question might give me a little bit of trouble. Just kidding. So yeah, obviously I, I prayed the rosary uh, before before I converted, so still continue to do that. I'm not a daily rosary guy. I know, just hop on me and everything. A few, few a week, that, that's usually my, my practice. I place more emphasis on making sure I get my offices done, which is difficult enough um, for my schedule. But um, yeah, I do really, I, what, what makes it great about being in the ordinariate is that I can still keep my Anglican patrimony um, and those Anglican form of prayers that I had before uh, been that I had before been using, but I can have them approved and revised by the magisterium to make sure that there wasn't any error that I'm that I'm praying. So the uh, the divine the there's the uh, what what I can't even remember what I just use the website um, the website for it. I don't have the physical book, but I can't remember the name of the physical book. But the website is prayer.covert.org. Um, I'm going to put it in the chat. That's where you can find the um, the ordinary at offices. Those are very helpful. Uh, 
Okay. So considering how much has happened in the Catholic Church the last 50 years, where do you see the church in the next 50 years? What are your hopes and wishes? Yeah, I, I'm I'm very optimistic. I'm I'm an optimistic person by nature. Uh that's just how I am. I I really do believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and the conversion of souls and the bringing forth of good out of evil, of truth out of error, of light out of darkness. I, I, I don't think you can even be a Catholic and be black-pilled, honestly. I think, I think in order to have a classical view on, um, like, for example, reading Day Civ Day, uh, yeah, Day Civ Day, um, on the city of the city of God by Saint Augustine. You you can't have a a pessimistic view of history and still read that book and Im imbibe the ideas of of Saint Augustine. Uh, I I absolutely see the Holy Spirit winning, and the Holy Spirit won against me. The Holy Spirit has won against many people who I've talked to. The Holy Spirit will win. And his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's just the truth of the matter, like it or not. And if we're going to have another 50 years of darkness, well, that's temporary. If we have another 100 years of darkness, that's temporary. If we have another 200 years of darkness, that's temporary. But what I do know is that the light will come after the darkness. And that's the hope that I have. So I will remain optimistic, um, specifically over the next 50 years, I do see a huge, huge, huge change among uh, the positions of young priests, which is very, very, uh, very hopeful for me uh, when it comes to recovering, um, recovering some things that were lost in the years after um, Vatican II, not blaming Vatican II, but the years after Vatican II, and even some of the years preceding Vatican II. Um, but again, I'm, I'm a glad trad. Okay. So is there an ordinary equivalent of the liturgy of the hours, or do you have to rely upon the Roman rite, or do you, they simply allow you to use the Anglican liturgy of the hours books? So yeah, since I am, um, I'm not a seminarian, um, anymore, um, so I have no canonical obligation to pray the hours. So it's whatever um, personally is uh, is most um, effective for uh, my spiritual life. So I don't have to uh, pray any of the hours if I choose not to. So I have a bit of of liberty now that now that I may now that I. Um, I'm a catechumen. So I don't have that same obligation that I had before, but there is a, there is the, the, I can't remember the name, the office book. I can't remember the name of the office book that's in the ordinary, but also there's uh St. Gregory's prayer book. I always keep that on my desk. This has a wonderful litany of, of ordinary Catholic devotions. It's just a great, great book published by Ignatius Press, just a wonderful one. And then there's also a few ones that were made by Anglo-Catholics, such as the Anglican Breviary, the Monastic Diurnal, and, and such. But I think, Shia Alex, you mentioned that you own some of those books. And there's also the wonderful uh, Anglican Office book, uh, if, if you want to go from Anglican sources, although there may be some dangers in going from Anglican sources because they do venerate um, certain individuals that were outside of the church.
Okay. Oh, Barely Protestants here. What's up? Okay. <laughs> so the other Paul says, abduct that subscribe button's children and demand a ransom to a Swiss bank account. Okay. So who is my favorite Eastern Orthodox person? Matthew Emerson. Um, I really loved the, I mean, he's, he's Western Rite Orthodox. So, so I'm a little bit biased because we share so much liturgical heritage since there's such an overlap with uh, the ordinariate, but he's just a great guy. He's, he's not your typical ortho bro and he'll dispel any, any myths that you may, that you may have about, um, about how Orthodox people are in real life. He's a very charitable, uh, kind man, um, very smart, uh, very articulate. I just loved the conversation I had with him. And if you want to watch the interview I had with him, uh, I think it's just called Western Rite Orthodoxy. It was a few weeks ago that I interviewed him. So the other Paul says, you have no idea what you're talking about with Maximus because you don't have the divine noose and your phronama is self-refuted by your commitment to classical foundationalism. Oh man, the other Paul, the other dyer over here. Okay. What do you think about Ratzinger's comment that the Augsburg Confession could be interpreted in a way agreeable to the Roman Church? Well, St. John Henry Newman interpreted the 39 articles in a way consonant with the Roman Church, so I'm sure <laughs> Ratzinger could do it with the Augsburg. But um, it depends on your theory of interpretation with, with confessional documents. Because if you're going to give it that latitude where there's a certain amount of, a, of agreeable views... And there's a very large amount of agreeable views like there is with um, with some of the Anglo-Catholics interpretations of the 39 articles, then yeah, sure. But if you're going to strictly hold to the original intent of the authors, yeah, no, impossible. Original Wind Productions, the errors of Rome come from the insertion of the filioque, which ruins the monarchy of the father and is a result of dogmatizing Thomistic absolute simplicity. You got us. You got us. Okay. Oh, yeah. I need the I need to eventually bring on Byzantine Scotus to talk about this. What is postmillennialism and are you one? Yeah, so in brief, postmillennialism is more of a of a Protestant term. Catholics usually don't really use the term postmillennialism, at least that I've seen. So postmillennialism is the idea that um, when, so basically, uh, this gets into some issues about the timing of the millennium from Revelation twenty, but the main thrust of the position, what most people equate postmillennialism with, is an optimistic eschatology. So there's certain people when they interpret the church's teaching on the end times will interpret it in such a way where, where you'll have the church basically dwindling down to very few before the coming of Christ. And then Christ comes back and just absolutely annihilates everybody and just pours that wrath out. That's, that's what you have them interpret eschatology as, but a post-millennialism in pointing out certain verses such as, uh, 
the parable of the mustard seed and then certain verses in the prophets which talk about like literally everybody coming to to jerusalem in the in in the end of days and then certain other other passages um you'll you'll get a more optimistic view that most of the world will be converted before the coming of christ that whereas israel failed the church will not fail. Christ does not fail. Christ will bring about the conversion of the entire world. That's the idea behind post-millennialism. In, in brief, this, this doesn't get into the meat and bones, but with, with uh, post-millennialism, that's what the idea that it's usually connected to. Here comes nobody. Do you follow Thomas Aquinas in the people in heaven will see people in hell to feel better about themselves? Or are you a divine lobotomist? Or do you hold a different view? Yeah, let me let me pull up. I think I know the exact section that you're talking about. I think it's the end of the Summa Supplementum. Let us see the relation of the saints in heaven. Yeah, so these are short paragraphs, so I can just read them all. So we'll, whether the blessed in heaven will see the sufferings of the damned. On the contrary, Isaiah 66, 24 says they will go out and see the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, upon which the gloss says the elect will go out by understanding or seeing manifestly so that they may be urged the more to praise God. Nothing should be denied the blessed that belongs to the perfection of their beatitude. Now, everything is known the more for being compared with its contrary, because when contraries are placed beside one another, they become more conspicuous. So, for example, if you know... Uh, true pain and suffering and such when you do have uh that joy um you will know uh, how glorious uh, it is to to be comfortable you'll comfort becomes something which is more manifest to you because you know the contrary you've been there so wherefore in order that the happiness of the saints may be more delightful to them and that they may render more copious thanks to god they're allowed to see perfectly the sufferings of the damned so in seeing the fact that the the, the sufferings of the damned, they know even more how glorious the beatitude in which they experience. Okay, whether the blessed pity the unhappiness of the damned. On the contrary, whoever pities another shares somewhat in his unhappiness, but the blessed cannot share in any unhappiness. Therefore, they do not pity the afflictions of the damned. Okay, then I'm going to just skip to Article 3 because that's pretty straightforward. Whether the blessed rejoice in the punishment of the wicked. On the contrary, it is written, the just shall rejoice when he shall see the revenge. Further, it is written, they shall satiate the sight of all flesh. Now, satiety denotes refreshment of the mind. Therefore, the blessed will rejoice in the punishment of the wicked. I answer that a thing may be a matter of rejoicing in two ways. First, directly, when one rejoices in a thing as such, and thus the saints will not rejoice in the punishments of the wicked. So they won't rejoice in punishment for punishment's sake. But second indirectly by reason of something annexed to it. And in this way, the saints will rejoice in the punishment of the wicked by considering therein the order of divine justice and their own deliverance, which will fill them with joy. So what are they rejoicing in here? They're not per se rejoicing in the punishment of the wicked, but they're rejoicing in one, 
the order of divine justice. The fact that God is just is something to rejoice in. And then second, their own deliverance. So the fact that that's not them and the fact that their, their beatitude is so great in comparison to what could have been. And thus the divine justice and their own deliverance will be the direct cause of the joy of the blessed, whereas the punishment of the, of the damned will cause it indirectly. So notice indirectly, indirectly, very important. Okay, that should answer it. I'm gonna undo that screen because I hate the lighting with that screen on. I prefer the nice darkness of my lighting. Okay. When does a political leader become legitimate after a civil war in times? It's not clear who the legitimate leader is inspired by your stream yesterday. Yeah, that would take a whole stream in itself. Let me write a note for myself. And uh, there's a good section in Thomas on this. And um, I will I will do a stream on that eventually. Sorry for not really being able to answer that right now, but that would take a long time. There is a note for myself. Divine worship. That's what it's called. Divine worship. I kept. Yeah, that's what it's called. Okay. What, were I part of the ACNA or Anglican mission? Yes, I was part of the ACNA Gulf Atlantic Diocese under um, Bishop Labar. Well, I don't even know who the bishop is now because he's retiring. I should check up on that. <clears throat> who got elected bishop. Because that was pretty um, controversial. Okay, how does Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas, doctor of the church and teacher of the faithful, the common doctor of the church, and the one whom I follow with all obedience, according to the other Paul, this is all what he said, define the jurisdiction of the state. Is there a clear sphere or is it loose and capable of stretching to a number of spheres? I'm not really sure about that question. I don't know how to answer that. De Regno would probably answer that question for you. <laughs> Thoughts on Calvinistic people, Mohammedanism. <laughs> That's what people think I am. <laughs> because I have Shia Alex on, so I must be a Mohammedan. I am, I'm, I'm a I'm a papist, so I must be papal. And then I also believe in a Thomistic view of predestination, so I must be Calvinistic. Yes, aka militant vapor. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so militant Thomas is a 15-year-old kid because Prime said so. <laughs> yeah, that was um it wasn't Prime that said so. It was um Dave, the real med white. Um, that was, it was annoying. I mean, but I'm not, not going to let it get to me. The ortho bros have attacked people for much lesser things. And like, obviously, uh, that was kind of embarrassing, you know, to, to tweet something and something which obviously you regret tweeting. And then I did, I had no idea that he deleted it when I posted, um, posted my tweet about it and then have it get 2000 likes and then uh, hundreds of thousands of people who saw it. So that was uh, obviously that wasn't the best thing to happen. So, uh, but I was really disappointed that he doubled down um, on it because I mean, whatever you can say about prime, 
Um, I do think he's a genuine uh, believer. He's he seems at least to to not be in bad faith. So he posts about prayer a lot, and I do appreciate that focus on prayer. So I'm I'm just gonna take take him with as much charity as I possibly can because I've tweeted stupid things in the past, as many of you know, and have have had to retract and ask for apologies in the past. So if I'm gonna ask for grace, why wouldn't I give grace to him? Okay. So are conditional prophecies in scripture and in Marian apparitions. Evidence that God does not know in advance every human choice. Did God change the date of King Hezekiah's death? No, no. Um, so these would be uh, technically called um, the, the conditional, um, not, not condition, contingent, sorry. Otherwise, I said conditional. So contingent events. So, for example, an example of a future contingent event would be if we said, if the sun rises tomorrow, then it will be day. And if the sun does not rise tomorrow, then it will not be day. Uh, those are future contingents. So even though I know that the sun will not rise, I mean the sun will rise tomorrow, that doesn't mean that um, that there isn't still that future contingent that if it didn't rise, then it wouldn't be so. So it's in the same way with the, uh, the scientia um, of God when it comes to his divine knowledge that even though he knows that if something was like this, then it would be that way. And then if something was like this, it would be in that way due to the nature of the thing itself. That doesn't mean that he doesn't know it um, because he still knows, still knows the, uh, the end of it. Oh, oh yeah. Super, super sessionism equals replacement theology. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're speaking my Protestant language. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Replacement theology. Oh yeah. Thousand percent, thousand percent the truth. Um, so a lot of people I've seen at least give the impression that Jewish people don't need to become Catholic. Bro, just read Hebrews or literally any epistle by Paul. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. I get what you're get what you're saying. I'm I'm catching now. I'm catching now. Okay. Okay, so would you consider becoming a priest if being a married priest was easier? I, I don't think so, honestly. Um, I've done that was a that was a huge struggle in my own uh, conversion process. Is the idea that I've wanted to become a priest uh, since um, for for a long time, and that was what I went to college for. That's what I've I've spent almost every waking hour uh, trying to prepare for. And all of a sudden, that that avenue was just closed um, to me. So that was a huge struggle, uh, trying to deal with how I would respond to that desire. That was a huge, huge struggle that a lot of people that I've spoken to um, in my situation have had. But now in thinking about it more, um, I don't think I would necessarily make a good priest. I don't think that was that was ever something I should have considered. Um, I mean, I, I, I think really in, in that sphere, the only thing that I would ever consider, like, let's say, uh, God forbid, the wife dies, and, and all of a sudden, I'm single, like, I might uh, discern a, a monastic 
role, but never a pastoral role. I had uh, worked at a church in a pastoral position um, for a little over a year, and I don't think it was it was a good fit. Um, it, it it not not because there's anything wrong with being a priest, but it's a lot more administrative and uh, administrative stuff than you would think, and a lot less cool theology stuff than not not that that's that that's uh why i do it but um yeah so yeah prime praise a lot he is named after the uh the set uh, that would be the third canonical hour of the day so and if you don't get that joke you should pray your offices so Medwife is a hack who tries to claim Roman Catholicism as a historian because of the sacred art devotion. Yeah, I used to listen to um, Medwife uh, a bit. Uh, he's he's had me blocked for a while. Uh, once Jay Dyer blocked me, he kind of, and Jay Dyer went on a bit of a rant about me about a, about a year ago. He just blocked me. Um, I didn't had didn't have any direct interactions with him, but I used to watch some of his videos. Uh, I really liked his stuff. Um, responding to miaphysitism, but I do think when it comes to his interactions with Roman Catholicism, he is very sloppy, um, and his positions aren't really uh, well reasoned out. And I, I don't mean that uh, anything personal. I just think there needs to be a lot more um, back and forth, and uh, with Roman Catholics uh, on his end. And then also uh, research into how one would respond to see whether those arguments hold up. Because just because an argument is bad doesn't mean that uh, his position's wrong. It just means that he shouldn't use that argument. So grafted into the same promise replacement. Yeah. So, so, I, I don't think. Because when you when you have replacement theology, I don't necessarily think replacement's the best word. Although obviously it's licit, and it has been used in in theology to describe the relationship between the church and Israel. But really, it's because what you have in the in in the coming of Christ, the devout Jews, the true Jews, the true Israel, um, which is uh, part of the old Israel. Those are the ones who follow after the Messiah and his coming. So it's really a more organic uh, development where you have, uh, in the time of Christ, you have the true Israel, which are those who follow after the Messiah. And then um, you have this little gap overlap period until the destruction of the temple. So the true Israel are those who follow after the Messiah, who form the new Israel, which is the church. So it's not like you have a bunch of people who are part of the true Israel, and then one day they just happen to be cut off. Really, the true Israel are those who, who follow after the Messiah, and those organically develop into the new Israel. Okay. The old Good Friday prayer is infallible. Yes, let's pray for the obstinate Jews and their conversion. Let us that that's very important. Okay. Why do you think there 
are far less monastic communities for men in North America than women. Um, I think there's, I think the main reason you're going to get, and this is historically, I think the case is going to be the fact that you have to, for, for women, there is one, only one option, which is the monastery. But for men, there's a dual option, which is to be either religious in the monastery or a secular priest in the world. So since you have this great need for uh, for seculars um, amongst the clergy, then there's there's going to be some draw from from the people who would be interested in the monastic life. So we don't have prime in the reformed office. I know it's sad. It's very sad. Do the ordinaries pray all 150 psalms in four weeks? I wish they didn't omit the imprecatory verses, but we got a lot of canticles, hymns, readings, which sort of makes up for it. Yes, we do. We do pray all 150 psalms in, in four weeks, or there's a seven-week option too, but that's a little bit weak sauce. But yeah, um, with the canticles and hymns and uh, antiphons and all those, uh, all the other propers, it is a bit sad to see. I mean, it, it's not it's not a deal breaker because I didn't the book of common prayer doesn't have it. But I do really wish that they would have um, for the ordinary book did something like the Anglican office book and would have inclu included the full litany of of propers with the hymns and, and the antiphons and such. It's really unfortunate that they didn't do that. I think that would have been really cool to to see. And then also for the readings, um, there is an option to replace the second reading uh um with with the reading from the uh office of readings the saint reading from the office of readings there is that option and there's also the option you can do to add a third reading which would happen after the second canticle um, which would either be the nunc didymus or the uh, benedictus the nuke didymus sorry I, I don't even know how to pronounce them in latin Commonwealth Office has Prime, yes, and it's based. Okay, so I'm going to wait, give you guys another minute or two. See if you have any more questions. Probably have to go in a few minutes for the chill stream, which is happening right after this. I still haven't gotten an Odyssey set up. Maybe I'll set it up during the chill stream. It'll be sort of meta, meta thing. Oh, yeah, has anybody... Quick, let me know real quick. Has anybody tested? I'm going to send the link in the chat, the invite link. Anybody tested the uh, the link to see if they can find me on Odyssey? Because this is kind of, kind of weird. Because I did all of the, did all the stuff I needed to. But it doesn't, it, and it says I can upload videos and everything. But I don't really see. I really see myself. You know, it's kind of weird. I can't really see myself. I I don't know. I guess I'll just wait to to upload a video and see if it works. So what's the song in my intro? Yeah, that's uh, from the uh, Thanksgiving Mass for uh, Anglicanorum Chetibus. 
found on YouTube in the Anglican Ordem Chedubu Society. It's their um, their version of the Kyrie song. I, milit- I mainly watch Militant Thomist for the chill streams based. You gotta follow me on Odyssey then. I guess if you're if you're live, you don't really need to. Because I will still be live streaming them to YouTube. I'll just with the playback, you'll have to go to either one of the places I'm, I have a podcast on, which could be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and then all the ones people don't care about. And also for the video, you'll have to go on Odyssey. I tried that link, it just took me to my own account. Oh, that is that is weird. Uh yeah, I'll have to I hate to ping people all the time on Discord, but I'll have to, I guess, uh repost and once I get a video up. I guess that's the only way that I'm gonna do it. So how is Aquinas the fish? Oh, he's doing fine. He's just kind of chilling. We thought he died the other day because he got stuck between the um the filter thing and the side of the tank, but he actually actually was fine. I saved his life. Do Thomas at all bother with authors like Myomides, who were in the Aristotelian mold but not Christian? Um, they'll they'll interact some with uh, Jewish, at least the immediate ones will interact with Jewish and Muslim philosophers, but what you get um, in in a later period is it's more interacting with like if you read Lagrange, he's mostly interacting with continental philosophy. He's not really interacting with Jewish and Muslim philosophers. So that's more of the interaction you'll get. Okay. What's the arrangement for the glory at the end? Um, that's going to be the Murbeck arrangement, but that's also from the <clears throat> from the Mass. Okay, I think that's all. I have to give myself a few minutes before chill stream. Thank you guys. If you really enjoy uh, what's going on, uh, become a patron. You see, Tuesday is going to be the first of the month. So, if you become a patron on Tuesday, then it'll it won't. Because if you become a patron, it charges you right when you become a patron, then it also renews at the beginning of the month. So if you wait until Tuesday, then uh, then you get that fresh start where it won't you won't get that double charge. So um yeah, thank you all for, for being here and God bless. I appreciate every single one of you. Now here's the outro.